Welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today to talk Star Trek Beyond. Indeed, we were so happy to have seen it uh, the little bit ahead of time, Pete, just a little bit, and uh, so glad to be getting this podcast out today, July 22nd, the day that the movie drops. First up, this is the Star Trek adventure we have waited for 50 years. Weird, wild, and wonderful. Absolutely just a joy to see. It was like seeing a seeing an old-fashioned episode fleshed out to movie length um and that's that's with no disrespect meant to the previous uh you know modern era the kelvin timeline uh era movies or any of the next generation movies or any of the classic trek movies this just kind of got down and dirty on a planet new life forms new civilizations new mysteries it, it had a spirit of of the frontier. It had the Gene Roddenberry stamp of Wagon Train to the Stars in a way that, that the movies sometimes have a difficult time doing, sometimes for good reason, sometimes uh, less so. And, I mean, just what a thrill. What a thrill at the movies. Listen, you're going to hit a big round number like uh, 50 in a TV franchise that then branched out into the film's you got to make sure you have a film in theaters that year. And uh, this is actually the second iteration of uh, this third Star Trek Kelvin timeline movie. The first one uh, being written actually by three scribes, which got scrapped, had a director uh, in uh, Roberto Orki. Uh, pulled from the position and uh, what we get from Simon Pegg and Doug Young uh, scripting here. Um, a, a phenomenal, quick-moving, yet sentimental and, and heartfelt uh, lost mission, if you will. This, this stands up against anything that the original series has to offer. It's at the same time uh, fresh and familiar. I, I think we have to also point out, too, the wonderful uh, directing job by Justin Lin. I will admit that when I heard Fast and the Furious guy was doing my Star Trek, it was like, oh, come on. How many uh, spinny um, shots are we going to do a la <laughs> Furious 7? But you know what? This guy, A, he knows from Fast and Furious how to do many characters who have to um, have their moments and have to interact in ways that shine and are new, but still old-fashioned, you know, new ways to see their old personalities. Um, this guy, solid, um, solid uh, action director. And um, I know in a little bit we'll talk about some of the, uh, some of the writing uh, stuff, some of the, the, the scenes of controversy that he, that he uh, weighed in on. I mean, just top to bottom, this was, this was an, excellent, an excellent Star Trek offering. This is not the way it looked initially in the preview, which is action, 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 Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. This, this was a Star Trek story. And, you know, between the writing and the direction, and we've just talked about two Asian-American men 
um, the idea of diversity, uh, strength through unity, uh, terribly topical at the time. We'll certainly get to that in a little bit more depth. But Matt, let's begin where we pick up the five-year mission of the USS Enterprise refit from its destruction in Star Trek Into Darkness is half over and we meet the crew at a tipping point of change. A little ennui, Matt, has set in amongst James Tiberius Kirk and crew. Indeed, and I liked this reference to that they're now in the third year of their voyage and, and things of that sort. It made me have a moment to reflect because generally speaking the chronology is that the three seasons of classic trek were the first three years of the five-year mission um some people would then say you know the animated series is year four or years four and five depending on how you want to count it kind of quickly becomes you know kind of glorious nerd territory um but i like they just kind of said we're deep into this five-year mission here we are uh, depending on how you want to count it, we are farther than the show went, uh, which means that in our memories, in our hearts, in other forms like comics, etc., the 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 classic Trek adventures have been have been had or not had or filtered through this new timeline. Which I just thought was a that was a neat way to kind of say, hey, all those all those other things that you that you used to know about, they kind of happened too, but now we're in new territory for the first time in a long time. And, and it's an, I'm sorry, it, it's an excellent point to make, and it's a smart way to write what you've had here for two movies that had not gotten, you know, into darkness. I happen to feel is a decent movie. It's uh, maligned for a variety of reasons, um, the least of which is all right, go have your adventures now. And, you know, they go to Kronos and come back to Earth. And here, I mean, as I said, you get to imagine all these little adventures. It's both a an opportunity to see a little adventure, the, the bit of story business in the beginning where the, the very, very tiny uh, creatures, uh, you know, have the disagreement with Kirk and whatnot. It comes off as, here's another silly wackadoo thing that, maybe not silly, but, you know, it comes off as, here's another strange new world. Um, the fact that it circles around uh, later to be integral to the plot, perhaps a bit writerly, but you know, what do you want? It's a two-hour movie. It's not. It's not you know some saga spanning the ages. Um, regardless, though, as you mentioned, Pete, the ennui, the the notion that this crew has gone from being so green, which is a a Star Trek movie trope, uh, certainly a classic Trek movie trope, the green crew that will they be able to handle it? To now they know each other really well. They're at a point where, oh, did you hear that somebody got kicked out of somebody else's uh, quarters and left, you know, left shirtless and and told off? You know, just this notion that's a very mature crew and a very seasoned crew and a very professional crew is a place that we haven't been at in a long, long time in Star Trek. And to get this sameness of space and voyage that we're viewing through the lens of Kirk's captain's log to see the, you know, number of identical uniforms he has in his closet, the montage of 
him hitting the bridge and and just the the repetition it's set in and it's no wonder that by the time they arrive at the federation's newest you know top of the line starbase yorktown here they're really looking to not just get a little shore leave but mix things up uh kirk has applied for a vice admiralty and again in in keeping with the original timeline something we know he's eventually going to gravitate towards but regret flying a desk spock his motivation is is mixed up more in this timeline by the death of himself which i thought was a neat um a neat twist first of all very believable that that this Spock would be interested in focusing on his his very sparing culture, you know, spared by the the destruction of Vulcan and all of that. Um, that is understandable. Then then the fact that there's the death of of uh, Spock Prime, as he is called, um, which is just you know, the 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 two sad deaths that this movie brings, both so understated in such a in such a lovely way. Um, I, I wouldn't fully presume to know what Leonard Nimoy's uh, wishes would have been, but given given the care that he took in bringing this character back for the two Abrams movies, um, and the the passing of baton uh, that he that he looked at when he um, did just that uh, to to Zachary Quinto, I, I think he would have been. He would have been happy to see that there was an end written for this character, and and one that is going to continue to inform, you know, inform the the newer version and whatnot, and done so in a way that makes story sense. And it was just, as I said, this this lovely understated moment that then is, of course, propelling Spock to a point that, by the way, if you want to geek out in the main timeline, he gets pulled back to Vulcan as well. Um, so the fact that here we are. For a different reason, he's he's feeling the pull to to return to his culture, right? And that creates obviously a riff with uh, Uhura uh, through uh, Zoe Saldana's character. Uh, so they kind of call that quits. At the same time, we see Sulu uh, with a family. We had seen quickly a uh, a picture of uh, a uh, a little girl at his uh, console. One can assume that is Demora Sulu, but uh, few could have anticipated until the, uh, I don't want to call it Ballyhoo, Matt, but really kind of, uh, you know, pre, pre-press pre uh, buzz that uh, Hikaru Sulu, the first openly gay uh, crew member in, in Star Trek history. Well, I, I think if you've made it this far, into a podcast about Star Trek, then you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be, you, you shouldn't be finding yourself concerned that now Star Trek is in trouble because it's it's just so darn diverse and this isn't this isn't the way I remember it. I mean, so that's not even the the, the earth shaking um, revelation there. I think it, you know for, for for a Star Trek audience, uh, it, it's it's who cares and rightfully so. Um, who did care? Of course, was George Takei, who 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 is is uh, deserving of, of having great opinions over uh, over the character of Sulu. But 
I think I think that uh, the responses that that uh, Peg and Kinto and Justin Lin had, saying this needed to be an original seven character, this needed to be somebody who somebody who could be could be a symbol in many ways and has been a symbol since 1966. Now could be a new symbol. Uh, I think it was the right call. And furthermore, wow, guy puts his arm around another guy walk off screen that's what all the that's what all the the hullabaloo was over you know yeah <laughs> i mean it was it was billed as blink and you miss it i i don't think it was blink and you miss it but again we all heard about this we all read uh Takei weighing in we read the response from peg we read read a, a, a shutdown response from zach quinto and um, I, I think overdue, I think uh, much ado about nothing. I, I love the symmetry that uh, the screenwriter, Doug Young, Young plays uh, Sulu's husband. And you see him in the scene there. You see him um, in two other scenes, one when uh, Yorktown's getting attacked and one at the very end of the movie. It it is much ado about nothing. And um, Pete, I'm reminded of of several podcast iterations ago. Somebody sending me an email and saying, "Man, why why are you bringing all this all this modern stuff into it?" I mean, if that's your complaint over a Star Trek movie, a Star Trek movie showing infinite diversity and infinite combinations then you don't know Star Trek. It's as simple as that. Um, and for it, I mean, th this has been an area where, where Star Trek um, has not been as forward-looking and where it's been a lot of tiptoeing. Like, off the top of my head, I can think of, out of the 750 episodes, there are, at least as far as I've seen, as far as I can think of, there are three that deal with the topic of homosexuality. So... The, to me, this this brings balance to the force. If you don't mind mixing up my stars, wars, and track, <laughs> uh, it's at Yorktown that we deal with the Spock Prime passing, and really something that we came to expect would be in this movie well beforehand, with uh, Leonard Nimoy passing a year ago, February. Uh, I know, Matt, you and I had talked off mic several times, you know, how do you drop it in? Do you do the funeral? Um, I, I, I think it would have been too grand to do something like that. And I, I think that would have been against the wishes of a, a Leonard Nimoy. Um, you know, we're going to get the documentary done by his son uh, this fall. Really looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. um, but here it's. It's enough. It's understated at the same time. We don't need the hologram of here's Spock saying goodbye for the last time. It's it's not over the top. And uh, again, story first. It would have been maudlin to have a funeral for Spock Prime after the actor has died and had a funeral himself, et cetera, et cetera. To, to tip the hat here and to have it as a picture and to have it as a moment acknowledges it. Um, for it to then 
lead to a second picture and a second moment that connects the two uh, is is at the service of story. And oh, by the way, it's a nice little echo to the guy who wrote I Am Not Spock, the guy who tried to get out from under that role and then eventually circled back and said, wait a minute, this is what I'm, uh, I will forever be known for. And I have to remember that and embrace that. Um, and for for Kelvin Spock to have that moment too, it's just... It's Kelvin Spock, it's Spock Prime, it's Leonard Nimoy, it's Zachary Kinto. It's all it's all together, it's all Star Trek, and it's all incredibly, incredibly heartfelt. What we did not expect was that this would be the final appearance of Anton Yelchin as Chekhov in this uh, long-standing series. Here's a man, 27 years of age, who, you know, less than a, a little bit more than a month ago, killed tragically in a terrible, terrible accident, and really could not help but watch this. And with his increased role in this episode, clearly the most Chekhov has ever done, uh, probably apart from Star Trek II, with the whole nuclear vessel subplot. Um, just so sad to to see him for the final time here. J.J. Abrams has already come out and said as producer of the untitled next, the fourth uh, Kelvin Timeline film, that uh, they will not be recasting. They're going to write him out. And that, I think, is the appropriate response to the tragic death of this of this actor. I mean... Can you imagine them bringing in someone new? If you if you start to consider that, what it would be like for that new guy on the set, what it would be like for the other actors, it's just not appropriate. You can write off the character where you, you can ride him off onto the sunset in any which way you want um, and just leave it at that. Let it, let, let it be a fragment where, where sad reality now impacts you know these dumb movies. Like, that guy's dead remove the character that's the way to go the fact that he that he did get um extra screen time beyond the beyond the the, the primary three um is it's such a bittersweet uh thing to see on the screen because he really he really does sparkle up there on the big screen and um something that pete i don't know if this was done before his death but I suspect not, but the fact that the movie and Justin Lin and, and and the four editors were able to give him, Anton Yelchin, his own little moment by, uh, in the final scene there, Kirk's birthday, when Kirk asks, uh, you know, raises his glass to absent friends, to then cut from the Kirk close-up, absent friends, to a wide shot of everyone there as they were, Anton Yelchin, center of the shot, Beautifully, beautifully understated. Just your eye goes straight to him. It's a nod to him. They're not. They don't milk it for the sake of entertainment. It's just. It's just. It's the opposite of what, um, of, uh, you know, what was done in the Fast and Furious movies with uh, with uh, Paul Walker, uh, Furious Seven, not directed by Justin Lin, but just. It, and I'm not saying that the way Furious 7 did it was, was inappropriate, but for this movie, to have that one little extra nod without, without over, 
over wrenching the tragedy for for fake dramatic uh, benefit was just incredibly, incredibly lovely. Yeah, I mean, so, so tragic what had happened and the way they dealt with it was just perfect within the, the tone and the larger scope of this story. So, Matt, let's talk about this story. I call this here Star Trek Deconstructed. We're going to strip away their ship. We're going to get back to a emphasis on relationships, particularly in pairs. And I mentioned it before. Obviously, they don't have a crystal ball or time travel. The ability to be as topical and timely with this theme of unity where we are right now as a species, this is the essence of what Star Trek is. Star Trek is at its best when it is reflecting the world around it. And in this world where increasingly, especially in the last couple of years, the last year, the last six months, whatever you want to say, our world feels uh, less unified. And certainly, I mean, if you have proper historical knowledge, you know that, that it's been a lot worse than it is now. But that Star Trek unity is something that we are lacking in, in many places across this globe, in many places in this country and in other countries, etc. And this was not a message movie a la Save the Whales. This was not over, as over the top as my, ha- the, my face is white on the right and black on the left and yours is vice versa. Therefore, we are a metaphor for racism. It wasn't over the top, but to just to, to look at the villain in the eye repeatedly and say, we can come together, we can have high aspirations, we can be the very, very best that we can be as a species and make a place like Yorktown, which such an interesting choice, not just that, it, not just, not just that Yorktown is on the frontier, but that without the trappings of well, we are on Earth, we're on glorious Vulcan, we're on this planet, we're on that planet. We can, from scratch, as a society, create this beautiful, shining place that uses technology and wonder and peace to all come together. What a timely message, what a reminder that that Star Trek ideal is something that we can continue to work towards. And what a better time than their 50th anniversary to return to a central tenant of this franchise, this infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Uh, There were 50 different aliens in this one film that was a callback to the years that Star Trek has been in popular culture. And you look at where we are right now And I constantly reflect, I want to live in the Star Trek times. (laughs) Let's, let's get rid of the war, the disease, the racism, all the problems and, and just get back to the business of, of exploration. And, uh, it's no wonder I think that audiences are connecting with this, that this aspiration that we could be stronger through the differences that we bring together and Matt, look at the villain. The villain is an alien, but at the same time, he is us. He is 
the black on the one side and white on the other, but we turn it around in the mirror and we see our own reflection. And and talking about timeliness, um, and also something which I think upon further reflection is also unfortunately timeless. He's not just us. He is the soldier who we have not cared for properly. He is the he is the soldier who completed his mission and then wasn't given uh, the care. In the case of Balthazar Edison, wasn't rescued. But to, to just say your mission is over now, let's help you come out of come out of the military mindset. That's who our villain is. The person who who we as a as a federation, we as a society could not help uh, normalize into peaceful times. Um, so therefore, who is the villain? The villain is kind of us as well. Again, it's not just a a, a look in the reflection; it's also self inflicted. And not just crawl, though. Not just the former um, Franklin captain Balthazar Eddy, but also his lieutenants. One of which, you know, sets the booby trap to bring the Enterprise um, through the Magellan probe. Uh, having listened into their their logs, having been aware of their data, it's a tremendously intricate plot, Matt. For you know what passes as a summer popcorn movie that has deep social overtones, homages to uh, two recently deceased actors. There's so much going on here. It will be easy for it to collapse under its own weight, and there are moments in this movie that are effortless and you add to that list you have seven main characters all of whom need uh, character service you know you kind of need to need to get scotty working in engineering and need to get mccoy doing medicine etc etc and coming up with ways to pair them off so it's not always kirk spock mccoy and then the lower level ones I, the, the, the story masters that this movie had to serve w was incredible. And for it to come off as so effortless and for it to still come off as a great wagon train to the star's yarn it, it is, is just a credit to the writers and a credit to the production. Really dug the addition of Sofia Boutella's uh, Jayla. So much was made in the run-up of you know her, her tough cookie status. You had to figure by the end of the film, if she didn't perish or sacrifice, that she'd be around. Matt, I think with Anton Yelchin's passage and the character's acceptance to Starfleet Academy, her uh, you know, uh, qualifications as an engineer, I think she is a really, really good choice to fill that chair. I get it. The, the actress is on the ascent at this point. But, uh, you know, you, you get another woman in there, you get an alien. I think it could make a lot of sense. Love the character. Yeah, absolutely wonderful energy out of her. Having not, uh, I mean, I, I saw the previews and whatnot, but having not really known how she fit in, the fact that from the word go, she was simultaneously this mysterious alien force and a friend and recognize Starfleet. You know, it immediately was kind of the friendly alien. And um, 
the fact that they didn't take this great character to put her through this arc of I don't I don't like you guys. Well, maybe I do. Fine, now I'm on board for her just to be thrown in. She recognizes the symbols which serves the story of the USS Franklin and and uh, knows the technology and offers them the deus ex machina at the end to get out, which doesn't feel like a deus ex machina because it's so well written. Um, and, and it, I mean, this is a much more compact story than it might appear when you sit and go, okay, wait, the, the, the standalone adventure at the beginning ties into it, and everything that she brings to the table ties into it, including the entire backstory of the villain. But it just all comes together, and she's a huge, huge part of that. Matt, this 50th anniversary, 13th feature film, um, obviously of import, in that it honors the past, but at the same time forges ahead. You've you've got to do the uh, five-year mission. We've got to catch up with the characters from where they are last time, and so much has been made. Well, why didn't you go into Kirk's con blood subplot and the tech that they now have, et cetera, et cetera? And it, it, it didn't need to be touched upon. And again, I like Into Darkness. Um, there were people that were disappointed by it. There were people that were put off by, you know, the um, Alex Kurtzman, Roberto Orkey conspiracy theory, you know, uh, analog to our uh, current drone warfare, you know, uh, era. But we don't need to catch up on this stuff to tell this story. What I like to know what uh, Orky and McKay and the other writing partner had turned in. Absolutely. But given that we've got a greenlit sequel with the two writing partners other than Roberta Orky for uh, next time, at least until they turn in their draft and uh, it moves down the road, they're going to get their shot. There is something somehow baked into the DNA of Star Trek that when you give Star Trek the 110% of what it, it needs, then it doesn't work. Star Trek somehow needs to be against the ropes and it needs to be, but, but we need a movie for the 50th anniversary and, <laughs> and, and Orkin and Kurtzman, they're not, they're not going to cut it. And, and we need Fast and Furious guy to be the, the third choice director. Star Trek needs to be at the edge of the black hole to then somehow go to warp nine and save itself. And I don't know why that is, but Star Trek needs that and it needs it time and time again. It needs to be canceled at times and lay fallow and then come back and come back in different ways. And that's, that's just an example of, 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 I, of I don't know what, but this is this is the 50th anniversary Star Trek movie that we needed. One that touches on the modern world, one that touches on nostalgia, one that gives the classic crew its moment, albeit through a picture, but gives them their moment where we get to circle back. And this wasn't a la um, uh, Die Another Day, the, the awful James Bond movie where we're going to shoehorn in every little last thing. And I had wondered... Oh, are we going to get the? Are we going to get some kind of Picard this and some kind of Cisco that? No, no, no. This is a classic Trek crew reimagined 
So what do we do? 50th anniversary, we tip our hats back to the original classic Trek crew, and we don't need to do all the Star Treks in between, aside from the fact that you know the USS Franklin is an NX class and blah, right. blah, 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 which as somebody who has not been a huge fan of Star Trek Enterprise, on the one hand, it was like, come on, you couldn't give us some, some Riker here, but <laughs> at least it loops back to the last Star Trek that was on television. And also fits perfectly into the timeline, which we Trek fans know means a lot more to us than we let on because we don't want to seem pathetic. But <laughs> it, it fits the timeline. Is it at all surprising that a science fiction franchise that began on TV with an abandoned pilot, uh, recast, reimagined, needs to be up against it, as it were, to succeed? I'm not quite sure. I mean, you said baked in its DNA, and I, I'm I'm pretty confident that's what it is, and and that's what these characters are—the essence of their relationships. Of, you know, Leonard McCoy is the the homespun wisdom of being able to uh, distract his logical friend who he's ornery with while he cauterizes a wound and it's funny and it's human, even though we're dealing with an alien on an alien world. And you look at the, the, the touches on enterprise, the NX class, and even, um, uh, Balthazar having been a, uh, a Mako. Um, and actually there was that little Simon Pegg, not even a featurette, just quick little commercial before the movie even began talking about being on the set and thank you for coming to a theater to, to see a movie, something, you know, that that's increasingly going away through, you know, a variety of means, the least of which is piracy wearing a Mako shirt, the, the Mako's longtime, you know, Star Trek fans will know where the uh, the security team brought aboard the Enterprise in its third season when they went on the mission against the Zindi. Something else touched upon in this film, and again, not shoehorned, not crammed down your throat. All right, you're going to get some Enterprise in there now, so brace for it. it it's it's effortless. And it's a reminder of the resilience of the franchise. It's a reminder that despite the, in my opinion, nonsensical, um, you know, pissing matches between Paramount on the film end and CBS on the TV end for the, the movie rights and the TV rights, in this, the granddaddy of all cinematic universes, in this, the, 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 the show that went from, that went from live action to animated to movies to TV spinoff, which has a guy from the movies in it on day one, for them to be fighting about release dates and this and that, the other behind the scenes, it's a reminder that, you know what, Star Trek is more than the suits who currently are in charge of the rights on this end or that end. And, and this is a movie that is not the not just the celebration of the first 50 years of Star Trek, this is the first installment in the next 50 years of Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, this love letter looks forward and where we leave the crew with the 
rapid construction of the Enterprise A and the adventures that lie ahead and the prepping now. I mean, Matt, can you ever remember where we've already had concrete in the press plans for a sequel before a Star Trek movie came out? Star Trek for the wrath of Kevin is going to be absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, I, I, I can't take credit for it, but I, I read and I parroted it when we saw it last night. Look at the beats for these first four Kelvin timeline movies. You know, we've, we've got the reboot, which brings everybody together. Okay. Uh, Spock as the, the mystic, if you will. We've got the sequel, and they did Khan. They did the Joker of, of Star Trek lore. We've got the third one where what did they do? The Enterprise was destroyed, and now we're going to have a fourth one with time travel. And uh, instead of whales, we're going to get George Kirk. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, Pete, just to explain to some of the, uh, some of the people who maybe aren't completely up to speed, Yes, J.J. Abrams has said Chris Hemsworth as George Kirk will return. Um, and it, while it is logical that time travel will be involved, that's not confirmed. That's just conjecture. Am I correct? It, it is conjecture. Uh, I think the smart money is going to put it there. I also think we're going to see an adversarial relationship, at least at first, through whatever mechanism that they get him back. We've got to put that conflict in there and we've we've kind of burned the uh human turned alien uh thing so obviously there's going to be something that they're at odds over kirk is uh in so many ways like his father in so many ways different as pointed out uh throughout this film you know joined on a dare as opposed to something his father believed in and they will i'm sure put at the heart of this next film uh, a conflict between the two of them at the same time bringing them together well as you said last night let's let's close this gap from four years between one and two three years between two and three let's get the next star trek movie out in in two years time and keep this going um i don't i don't no, because we're recording so early, because we care, dear audience. Uh, I don't know what the box office picture looks like, but you have to think it's going to do well. Um, the second one did did $150 million more than the first one. Um, Paramount doesn't have a ton of franchises, so all the more reason to throw your weight behind Star Trek and get these movies made, get, get them out there when the actors... You know, it seems like none of them are moving on to to uh, the next thing you know i mean do we get more star trek faster because uh chris pines um jack ryan movie didn't didn't do too well etc cetera, etc cetera. these these actors are these characters now let's get more of these movies made let's announce a new three-year deal with the remaining six members uh of of the the reboot seven but let's crank these movies out let's let's return Star Trek to the firmaments here. We have uh, deals moving forward for Pine and Quinto. Um, obviously, with uh, Yelchin's passage, that's uh, uh, something that doesn't need to be dealt with. 
like I said, you, you get Butella full time or you bring in another character actor to to fill that role, as was done a couple different times throughout the original movies. You know, Kim Cattrall comes to mind, something like that. Um, but yeah, let's turn it around quickly, Matt. I don't think interest in Star Trek has been as high as it is now in quite some time. Movie, TV show debuting uh, right after the beginning of the new year in 2017. Let's uh, kick this thing into warp drive. By the way, Pete, just a uh, a quick bit of numbers that I've had my uh, my number people digging into. Um, the feeling is that uh, in these United States, uh, Star Trek looking to uh, debut in the 57 to 60 million dollar range. So that certainly is uh, is is solid and um, would make it one of the bigger hits of the summer to get off to that start. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's off to a faster start, uh, at least for the Thursday numbers than uh, Star Trek in Darkness did. I mean, the state of Star Trek is healthy. It is strong. It is growing. Um, and let's let, let's let's keep this going. It's 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 such an incredibly exciting movie for the reasons that Star Trek is this great adventure. And uh, and hopefully the powers that be can just unify behind it and really really get things going. Speaking of going, Matt, we are going to be continuing to bring you Star Trek Essentials. Uh, in fact, this first uh, Tuesday is uh, the beginning of the second half of our uh, summer season here, and we will be bringing you the first of your picks for Star Trek Essentials. Oh, man, I can't wait to see what people have chosen for us, Pete. I can't either. Um, but certainly do continue to get those, uh, to get those uh, votes in. In a minute, we'll talk about how you can, uh, can share your voice for what episodes we should cover as essential Star Trek. And um, Pete, I think that uh, if, if we haven't touched on it already before this episode, uh, a reminder that essential Star Trek sometimes involves having uh, conversations about big boy and big girl issues and not just... It was really cool because Spock, <laughs> Spock had a goatee and it was great. Um, so Troy um, turned into a frog. <laughs> do you remember that time that Tom Paris and Captain Janeway were were like lizard people who mated? You know, it's it, the best Star Trek episodes. Talk about the world as it sees, uh, or the world as it as it would like to see. And um, I look forward to getting into getting into discussing some of the ways that Star Trek tries to reflect and refract uh, the world that uh, that it's about. And I think that's the beauty of the age that it came from and what it stands for now. Pete, but the thing that can stand best for people is interacting with you on Twitter. Seamless transition. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E 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 8,055 followers. Can't be wrong. 
While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P and the H. You can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter, the Instagram. But wait, Pete, there's more. Set your communicators to facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek. One word with the PH. Like it and your frequencies will always be connected to us. I did not understand any of those references. Well, Pete, we will be back next week to be talking more Star Trek Essentials. And uh, certainly there will be other goodies along the way. So uh, until then, I will say kapla to one and all and give you, Pete, the final word. Let's make some noise.